Okay, so this week we'll talk about metrics and KPIs and we have a special guest today, Adam. So Adam is the head of machine learning uh, engineering at Origami Energy. He's an experienced data and AI leader. He helps organizations unlock value from data by building high performing teams, uh, data teams, analytic teams uh, from the ground up. And uh, Adam also hosts a podcast, right? Yeah, among other things, sort of ever so slightly related to data and technology. But yeah, no, look, thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, I am excited to kind of talk to talk about something I don't normally get a chance to talk about, actually, um, KPIs and how to like measure success and things like that. And yeah, a, a few welcome. Ideas. Yeah, thanks for agreeing. So before we go into our main topic of metrics, uh, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I always start way back in the midst of time. I was a, a bartender, a competition bartender. Absolutely loved that. Um, traveled around Europe making cocktails, winning uh, and sort of being drunk for a living, which was good fun for a while. Realized I wasn't uh, going to make enough money to buy a bar by working in one because I wasn't that good. Um, so I thought, all right, I'll go back to uni and get a proper job. Um, went back to do physics. Um, Really hard, really enjoyed that. And towards the end of it, did a bit of coding. Went on to do a computational doctorate at the University of Strathclyde. And that was modeling high power lasers. So you might see some laser textbooks on the bookshelf behind me there. Um, that was really good fun. And it was towards the end of that, I started looking at reinforcement learning and data, like data science things, just out of interest. Um, and actually used some reinforcement learning in designing sort of novel components for lasers um, as part of that research. So that was really good fun. And I kind of really opened my eyes up to what you could do with this kind of stuff. Um, as much as I loved physics and working with lasers, I kind of realized that I actually didn't care too much about the domain. And I just liked doing numbers of the computer um, and wanted to explore kind of what you could do with some of these tools. What really appealed to me was the idea that you, if you learn sort of the data science approach, the techniques and some of the ways of working, you can step into almost any domain, any organization and offer value. So given a little bit of time and your data, I can probably show you some charts or some models that, that might highlight some insights that you hadn't seen before without being an expert. Now, it's quite a dangerous statement to make and I do stand by like, the absolute best people in the field are those that know their domain inside out as well. You, you can't really compete with those people if they have all the technical sort of expertise in, in the tools and techniques as well. But you can go quite a long way as being a, a bit of a generalist and just being very good at applying sort of statistical approaches and things like that. So Finsworth Doctorate went on to start a, um, an online retail startup of about six people in the east end of Glasgow. That was great fun looking at trying to predict um, returns behavior. So yeah, something like 30% of all orders for fashion, especially online, um, get returned. And it was, if you attribute, say even like a two pound cost per return to each item, actually for some organizations that, that adds up to millions of pounds worth of return. And you, they, we did a lot of clustering actually, and you can really quickly spot some sort of negative, permanently negative lifetime value customers in by their early shopping behaviors and actually they're the same people that get flagged for like lots of marketing and promotional material because they spend a lot and it's all disjointed within so it was a really good um, product it, it kind of didn't do very well that company i left and then it kind of uh, disappeared shortly after it was just a hard thing to sell to companies you're essentially telling sort of sales executives 
sell less stuff and that that's quite a hard message to get across from sort of yeah this upstart uh, startup in glasgow so i went from there to insurance um absolutely love that that was kind of really eye-opening about because the amount of information you get doing car insurance it was um working in the pricing team you you can find out a lot about people and you can build some really cool interesting models and there's such a like there's a lot of money involved so there's lots of investment in there's lots of impact you can make by small changes and i talk a lot about that in some of the talks i do for like beginners like look at if you're, if you're trying to make a big impact try and find like massive revenue numbers or huge numbers that you can make small percentage changes in because they're the easy wins to get started with trying to make like huge like 20 30 cuts in 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 things from the get-go that I mean, a lot of these are usually problems lots of clever people have already thought about. So thinking you're going to come in and completely change the game is a little bit hubris and things. So I always think that with insurance, there's loads of money involved so you can make a big impact. That was a great, I had a great time there. Um, and then went on to working for a consultancy. And actually, so that's kind of where my journey changed a little bit. So I've been a data scientist now for a few years. I was a senior data scientist at Incremental Group in Glasgow. Great consultancy um doing some really interesting stuff for sort of small to medium all the way out to enterprise customers and after a while there i got offered the position so they restructured the business and i got offered the position to be to, to act as the data and ai director so that meant taking on leadership like a leadership management role of the data science team but also data engineers had um bi consultants as well in that and a few DevOpsy people and things like that. And so that was my first real exposure to BI actually, and things like metrics and that kind of consultancy, trying to help organizations turn their ways of working as they are, their business as usual into stuff that was measurable, that we could build into dashboards and charts, because I already try and sell them charts and dashboards, right? That's what we or how we made our money. But that's when I started to come across some of the techniques for helping people and like these workshops you would do to help people that that like we had a bakery as a customer, huge bakery as a customer, right? And they know how to run their business really well, but it's family owned. It was a, a huge company. It'd been working fine for years. What, why change anything? So helping them take their kind of ingrained experience and the, the gut feel and turn it into what are the actual numbers that a layman like me could come along and understand on a chart. Okay, these are the things that drive performance. That was quite, quite enlightening for me to learn. And I definitely wasn't the expert there. Um, I'm definitely not sort of the beer one indoor export. Now, I always think there's more to learn in that kind of space, but learning to sort of work with the BI teams and the data teams in that regard was really helpful and in a consultative role. And then was there for three years and very recently got offered the position at Origami and had to, uh, basically the, the stuff they're doing at Origami, super cool, really interesting for me, like trying to um, help transform the energy sector to be, to, to enable sort of green energy to come in more easily, more readily, do lots of very big, very complicated problems. And again, large scale stuff, high impact. So I kind of jumped at the chance really. Oh, I do miss consultancy though. Consultancy was great fun. Yeah, that's cool. But doing reinforcement learning with lasers. I think that's uh, the coolest thing I heard today. Some of the stuff I did, I did some cool stuff in my PhD. I won't lie, like that. So that was, um, yeah, so the, the core of my project was um, looking at using ray tracing techniques to um, for, for laser software, for sort of using ray tracing software to design lasers, right? So there's a project called, there's a few of them, but ZMAX was the one that we used. It worked for a huge, huge organization called Tales. 
Um, so ZMAX is like a lens design software and like you can do, you can build basically any kind of lens with it, do, do lots of very clever stuff. Um, you can't model laser material, like laser game material in it. So that was always a big thing. They were like, oh, it's a shame. Everybody in the company uses ZMAX, but it doesn't do lasers. So the laser team were upset. I built um, a piece of software that allowed me to manipulate it using MATLAB. So and it was all MATLAB ideas. So that once I'm in MATLAB, I can do what I like, right? So um, I, and it was annoying because I built this stuff to automate ZMAX. And then a couple of years after I finished, it became a part of the product. They actually had like a big building library to do some of the stuff that I'd done. So I'd spent months building that way. And it was a bit ropey because I wasn't a really good software engineer. I'm uh, still not. But uh, yeah, it was great fun. So anyway, what what we got to a point where I did a few really cool projects, but one of them was looking at designing components that not not just gave the best performance for like laser output, like beam shape and power and things like that, but were actually really resilient to um, misalignment. So lasers are super, lasers are basically rubbish. All lasers are rubbish, right? It's like there's an industry kind of joke. And I actually think this crosses over to data science and machine learning. But a lot of like in laser manufacturing, there's this thing that it's the it's the best way to do something if there's no other way of doing it. Like essentially lasers, like if there's any other way of doing what you're trying to do, don't use a laser. But if you have to use a laser, then go for it. And I kind of feel like that's true of machine learning as well. Like the best <laughs> way to do that if there's no exactly. other way of doing it. Like if you can do it with a basic model, something really simple, try and use that first. Um, and I kind of bring that into the way I work now. So anyway, yeah, the designing these components is like, Typically, you would go and ask someone that's done it for 40 years, what did you use for these parameters, blah, 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 use their experience. And they wanted a bit of help. And we, so I've got this big piece of software that can simulate lasers now because I've built it. And then I essentially attach some sort of very rudimentary reinforcement learning thing with a few parameters to allow it to churn through. I actually started with genetic algorithms to um, design sort of the 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 system and then I did a little bit of stuff with reinforcement learning but this was back in 2014 and I was kind of self-taught it wasn't I wasn't like it wasn't as far on as it is now um something I'd love to go back and do it came up with some interesting stuff some of it was um maybe poorly formulated and a little bit like it, okay within the realms of the software it was fine but it would have been impractical to manufacture um but it gave some novel insights and some of that stuff's used or it's been investigated a bit further i think i'm not in the company anymore when i'm out of the loop so they what mm -hmm. they've done with it who knows okay so coming back to the boring topic of uh, yeah. metrics <laughs> so i imagine that uh, when you work on reinforcement learning with lasers you need to track some metrics right to measure the success of your project so what is a metric uh, so why would why do we care about metrics? Yeah, and it's back to that thing of like, is it Peter Drucker that says if it's if you can't uh, express it in numbers, you can't manage it kind of thing. It's it's there's a lot of ways to look at look at this, right? And it, it's a it's a point in the sand. And I'm actually a big fan of getting going with metrics before you've got the right one or before you've got them measured properly. I feel that people sometimes fret and spend too long trying to find the perfect one. They do too much planning without getting going. And I think actually, as long as you think about calibration errors, as long as you, you keep measuring the same way, you can kind of see where it is. And once you figure it out later, you can go back and rectify things. Um, but yeah, metric essentially just from to measure, isn't it? It's something to measure against, to take an output and turn it into a number so that you can apply and chart it and, and start, start seeing where it goes. So for example, laser design, right? We, you, 
you want high power and that's got to be above a threshold and essentially in that it's a really easy example to use in that you have a technical specification the laser the, the piece of equipment that you're building must meet it must operate to minus 30 degrees and uh, to plus 70 degrees it must withstand um, force of x it must have a pulse length no longer than this and no shorter than this, blah, 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 blah. There's safety standards. These are all numbers. And they're like threshold metrics, a lot of them, right? You have to hit these threshold metrics. So that's really handy for something like a reinforcement learner because then you just fire all those in and you say, right, build me a system that hits these metrics. Now, in a system like that, where you've got maybe 10 threshold metrics, there's probably an infinite number of solutions to that, right? You can find lots of, lots of solutions within a space. The challenge comes in when you want to find the optimal solution, then you've got you've got really a difficult problem to solve. And that is where you start comparing your metrics to each other to try and get them improved. And actually, when you're in high dimensional metrics, it becomes a messy then. And that's where a lot of things like in running businesses and, and turning your sort of models into business value, big fan of using merit functions. So essentially, much as you would um, with your models, you, you take certain values and you, you take some of your metrics, you give them a weighting, you add them up and you give it that a score. Now, people can get really lost in the weeds with defining what those weightings are and how things are important. And you can game your own metrics by just keep tweaking the, the, the nodules until, until you get what you want. And there's a, there's a really good XKCD comic about that that says you can just keep stirring the numbers until it gives you the output you desire. Like, don't do that, obviously. Right. Pick something and go for it. That's what you do in machine learning, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, you yeah. walk it with a stick until it works. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's it. Trying to trying to convert things into a valid merit function, and mm -hmm. I think that that gives you a number to to push to to measure against, and it allows you to say, well, this thing is objectively better than that thing because of X. And if you get, you can even go back to like basic consulting, right? Any consultant you ever get into your company will always draw the grid of um, like impact and cost of, as their two axes. And then you plot all your potential projects. And this is a good thing to do with your potential data science or data projects that you might be doing as well, right? This, this is genuinely a, a worthwhile approach, but you plot how hard is this thing to do against how much impact is it going to have, right? And then you just pick all the ones at the top, uh, all, all the ones that are high impact and low cost, right? You do them first and you work your way through. But if you calculate them as axes and put numbers of 0 to 10 on them, actually you can get a score, right? One number, and then you just rank them. That's a really good way of actually prioritizing the projects you're going to do. That often gets sort of, I get flagged for that because people argue that data science, you can't put time bounds on it and you can't, um, you, you can't kind of as tightly define data science that. And we can maybe get into that and running teams a bit later, but that's something that I think is really valuable to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically a metric is a number that converts uh, like an output of some system to like to a number, right? And then it tells yeah. how the system is doing and then we can use it to compare multiple systems, right? Multiple yeah. things. And then we can say, can say, okay, this thing is objectively better than that thing because mm -hmm. the metrics say it's all right. Yeah. And units are, getting, units are really important. Being a physicist, like, yeah, units are super important, even in business metrics and things like that, because you have to make sure you are comparing like for like. Mm -hmm. Can you think of uh, some simple examples examples of metrics? I think we you mentioned like uh, revenue and uh, what are the other 
commonly used metrics that you so let's say when working uh, at a consultancy company you probably work with many clients so are there some metrics that uh, most of the clients have yeah yeah so there's all the ones you hear about in like sort of accountancy one-on-one you've got like revenue profit costs um you can go a little bit deeper than that. So we, if you start working with sales functions and marketing teams, there's a very common language lots of them use and you'll hear about the pipeline and that can turn to things. So you get, so in a sales team, there'll typically be expected projects and sales that are going to land. And that is, they will rate them by probabilities. So they say, right, well, this project will land. It's, and they'll give it a weighting. They'll say it's a 300 grand project. It's 50% likely to come in. So you go, so the revenue of that lands will be three, 300 grand, right? But what they will then do is they will multiply that by the 50% and say, well, it's weighted revenues. So this is a really common metric. Weighted revenue is 150 grand. And that lets me, if you trust your probability ratings, which no one ever does because that's a really hard thing to do, right? You trust your probability ratings and your sort of estimations of the project size. You can then say, yeah, the 10 million pound long shot that I've got down as a 5% is more or less valuable than the 300 grand that I've got at 90% because you, you can multiply them all through. You can pay a weighted revenue to, to revenue and then make your decisions and focus your efforts on, on that kind of thing. Weighted revenue, you've also got things like marketing interactions is really good and you get qualified leads and sales qualified leads and, and marketing qualified leads. So if you're you've got a website someone downloads a bit of your content well that's a, a marketing interaction right and put, that's a great metric to to measure or and maybe turn into a kpi for your marketing team you want people to download your stuff right so you just want people to do that it's maybe not the only thing you want though because you can go and get if it's if you're just ticking that off you can go and get 10 to 100,000 more interactions by doing a few TikTok videos than you can by writing really good content. Those TikTok videos might not or probably won't convert to any actual money, which is the point. Whereas someone that attends uh, an hour long webinar or a, a day long event you've run is far more likely. There's more, they've given more over to more of their time and commitment to you. So you go from market interactions to, to leads and marketing qualified leads. So a marketing organization might have criteria and they use all these funny acronyms like banter was one that we use. So it was like, do they have budget? Do they have the authority? Is there a need? Is there a timeline? And is there any risk? I thought these were the R4, kind of. But they would have like these acronyms and you answer these questions. And if they tickle the box, it goes from a lead to a marketing qualified lead. And then their sales have another one and they, they will take it a next step further. And you're, this is what they call the pipeline. As you go down these steps, you're ter- going ever closer to money, actual money that's in the bank, right? And you can draw this for most organizations with a sales function. And these are really handy things to learn, especially as a data scientist, because every organization charges money. Well, the vast majority of organizations charge money and sell things to people, right? So they're the things that your company are going to care about. You've also got costs and stuff like that, debt. If you get to professional services, you can start to come up with some pretty interesting derived metrics. So you can go from simple stuff that you'd understand to things like um, burn down rate, right? So in a professional services business, I've got 100 consultants that are all, say they all cost, they all cost X pounds a day to, to hire out to people. Well, actually, and they've got, I've got a backlog of work that we're churning away at. Well, at what rate do I churn through my whole backlog of work? And that burn down rate 
So if I'm churning through 50 grand worth a day, because I've got so many people, then I need to be selling at least 50 grand a day. Otherwise, we're going to start having redundancies for people, right? So if your burn down rate is higher than your sales rate, you've got this situation whereby you're going to run out of work for people to do and eventually bankrupt yourself or, or make people redundant. You've got maintainability. So that, that thing is called maintainability of earnings is that. So we're, we're now into like tertiary layered, these kind of derived metrics that will come out. And they're interesting things that we're banned around some organizations. It depends on sort of where you go and you'll have similar stuff. So we did a lot of professional services and I worked and ran a professional services company. So that's kind of where I'm more comfortable, I'd say, but you get the same for manufacturing. Things like Lean and Six Sigma, they look at like faults in, um, what Six Sigma is like fault, how many sort of defective products in, in X thousand built and things like that, that, that kind of stuff. These are all good metrics to look at because they allow you to turn fluffy terms like quality into something you can measure right new guy gets brought in new man or woman gets brought in improve the quality of our product what does that mean what, what do you mean quality what define quality is always my first question and that can get really hairy and if you start doing big projects and investing money to improve quality without in black and white having what that means you'll you'll get arguments down the road as to whether or not any, anything was effective mm-hmm. Okay, and you said one thing um, a couple of minutes ago that uh, some of these metrics are good that you want to turn them into a KPI. Mm-hmm. So what is a KPI and how do we turn a metric into a KPI? Yeah, so metrics are basically, I always think of K- KPIs as like sort of the metrics that you want to almost from a top-down point of view from, so from bottom up, or anyone could use metrics in their own work. I have my own metrics that I don't really use for anyone else. The way I work, right? Things that I do that I need to check off. A big fan of checklists, but they don't align to everyone. They don't. They don't guarantee good behaviour across teams, and people might not understand them, right? Um, whereas KPIs are things that the organisation have kind of maybe highlighted to say this is going to drive behaviour. So they're essentially metrics, key performance indicators that you are measuring the performance of a team or an individual or a a function against. So back to the the sales example, you might say, yeah, weighted revenue um, and number of sales and revenue might be KPIs. You pick a few and it's quite important that you pick a few. And I actually encourage people to pick some that maybe conflict or maybe don't, that aren't quite clearly necessarily all in line because it helps encourage like good behaviors but kpis are essentially the things that you are going to put in front of their ceo to say thumbs up thumbs down is this team function project whatever doing well is this a good thing should we put more money into it should we cut it that kind of thing and i always think that you need to make them there's a lot of kind of rules around them i think for like good kpis and stuff like that but you want them to be easy for people to understand, to grok quite quickly and just get, make a nice chart, make a nice, easy to sort of, if I see a map, right, and there's like seven different colours on it and it's trying to tell me things, that's confusing. If I see a heat map, though, and it's just going from like, yeah, sort of blue to red, I know very quickly exactly what I'm looking at. So those kind of turning stuff into KPIs that are easy, visual, that kind of stuff becomes really important. And then you just use them as sort of milestones, as checkpoints, frequently measure whatever it is you're looking 
to 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 monitor against those KPIs, and you would hope that they drive performance. And the big important thing for me is you want to make sure your KPIs are aligned to the company strategy. And typically we would say, right, your company should have a strategy of what it's trying to do. Then your function or whatever you like should have it's a strategy that's aligned to that, but more specific to what they do. And you just follow that kind of hierarchical alignment all the way down to the individual, to where you're like, as an individual, right, my my quarterly objectives or whatever, your my performance, my bonus, my, my appraisals all aligned to something like a metric or a KPI that, that feeds higher up KPIs that feed all the way up to delivering part of that company strategy. So basically, KPI is an important metric. This is a metric that we want to put maybe in a dashboard and then maybe on a on a screen and then everyone watches. Yeah, it. in a report. You basically, I think a KPI because right, the, that's the kind of that's what it should be. They end up being just more numbers that you have to, as a data professional, you almost certainly have to go and find Calais produce and put in a report and no one will read right because people love them the challenge with kpis is people love them and they just want all of them and they make kpis that may be really specific or too niche i always think when you're when you're defining kpis what behavior are you trying to drive they should drive a behavior if they don't drive a behavior cut them they either drive individuals to, or teams to behave a certain way or and there should be consequences, like both positive and negative, for, for that behaviour going like in the line with or against that. Or they should be used to make decisions, right? They should, you should, you they should. That number should go towards making a decision. If it's a vanity metric, which is a common thing you'll hear, which is like people, um, like yeah, like number of customers spoken to, right? That's some that can be an all right sales metric sometimes, but sometimes it's a vanity thing. Where it's, well, I did this, and it's like putting busy over important there's a really good quote from his McNamara and it unfortunately it's about the Vietnam War but it's a good quote around the I think metrics he says we should be careful not to make the measurable important but to make the important measurable and that's basically saying don't make numbers that are easy to count and get the ones that we make the most important so when someone says oh well my project's 5,000 lines of code right well that's an easy number to get and it's not important I think Bill Gates turned around and said that's like measuring an aeroplane by weight, right? That's not that's not a good thing to measure an aeroplane by, right? That's not a good thing to measure code products for. Make what is important measurable, and that's actually can be quite difficult mm -hmm. depending on what it is you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in software. So and so you said uh, that the KPI should drive a behavior and some drive drive some behavior, and I'm thinking, um, like what kind of KPI? Let's say that in your example, uh, you were working as a startup and you were trying to minimize the number of returns, right? So the number of returns could be a good metric that drives behavior, right? So the behavior is that people get uh, the the clothes that fits, right? They don't need to return it, right? Is that a yeah. good example? They get really dangerous though, right? Don't they? Because if I... So I can drive that number. So this is the this is one of the things about KPIs. You have to be very careful. And one of the things I I often when I was consulting would encourage people to do is think about malicious actors within your company or within your customers or whatever. Think about people that that could unlock a really big bonus, like a 10 times salary bonus. Say you started a new position and someone could get 10 times their salary if they hit the KPI for the year or they smash the KPI. What would they do if they were malicious and they were cheaters and whatever? 
and think about actually, okay, so you've set a KPI, reduced the number of returns. All right, then it costs a hundred pounds to return any item to this shop. Mm-hmm. There you are, I'm not going to get any returns anymore. Or actually, I'm just not going to sell anything. Sorry. <laughs> I'll stop selling stuff. I'll stop getting returns. And that's a stupid example, but it highlights the point, right? Mm-hmm. So it, think about malicious actors. And that, that, again, is a bit of a physicist thing. You, you kind of, anything, anyone presents any kind of model to you, you immediately go to the extremes to try and break it to see if it, it still works. So that's a really good thing to do with KPIs. Like what, what there's the, because it's not good enough really to think about how the spirit in which they're written. And so the spirit in which that is that has been said is, I want to reduce returns because that's going to save the company money, right? But if you don't link that to sales in some way or inversely link it to sales or give the same person a KPI to drive sales up, actually, you're, you could get into a really sticky spot. So that's why, yeah, competing KPIs are really good. Or ones that like, so if I increase sales, I'm going to increase my returns. So actually having a K, both of them as KPIs, increase one, reduce the other, that then lock, that, that undoes that stupid example I've just come up with. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, so like we should try to make them less hackable or make sure that... Uh, people will. Uh, people will, yeah. So a good idea. Maybe in this case, we can derive some other metric from both returns and sales that kind of covers what we really want to do and we want to maximize the margin right because when people return we lose money so we don't want to lose money so let's do something that uh, you know uh, like Another, maximize the margin right depending on where who you're working with there's two approaches and i think they're both valid i think depending on your situation right so in some certain so i mentioned maintainability of earnings which is like a tertiary derived kpi right i said that to anyone on the street they're not gonna have a clue what i'm on about so if, I, if I'm telling the head of the incremental group, like sort of incremental is not a big company, but say like KPI, or I talk to, say I'm talking to a, a huge organization about one small part of its derived metric, their, their executives might not really understand it. Think about your audience. So yeah, derived, derived like something one over the other, like sales over returns or something like that, that's good if the people I'm sharing it with and using it with understand really easily what it is and it's like if i'm talking to data scientists i don't have to explain the difference between supervised and unsupervised machine learning right but when my mum asks me what i do for a living i say work in it because it's do you know what i mean i you have to think about the the level you're communicating at so when you're communicating at that higher level or maybe a bit zoomed out or people with less time or that just aren't as close I'd consider reporting both numbers. Don't report the derived metric. Report both of them because, yeah, sales have gone up and returns have gone down. I get that. That's great. Mm-hmm. You've used up maybe one extra thing. And it's easy when you're talking about two. When you get into more complicated stuff, that can be you don't want to you don't want to report ten KPIs on a chart because that that gets confusing. There's a there's a balance to be made. You have to really think about yeah your audience. But that's true of anything. I think with data, mm-hmm. that's part of the game and why it's so much fun. Yeah, and uh, we already have quite a few questions, and I think I want to combine two questions into one. So the first one is, so what is the process of coming up with best metrics? And then another co- question is, what KPIs are important for retails and grocery stores? And I was thinking, I don't know if you have experience with uh, retail stores. Maybe you did. 
I was thinking maybe we can try to come up with some metrics that are important for uh, grocery stores, uh, for retail, and then yeah, also uh, go through the process of coming, like how do you come up with these metrics? Yeah, well, look, I still do a bit of consultancy myself on the side, actually. I don't, I've not done so. Yeah, if anyone's really keen and wants to go through the workshops with me, I can come <laughs> on and do them, just reach out. But um, the, the process is a little bit, like I've said, right, but you, you, I come on and go, right, well, so what kind of, I need to know what kind of grocery store is this and what is the company's strategic goal, right? And it's, now that is a, a rubbish word to use, I think. I hate, like, I say it a lot because I've been a consultant, but strategic and tactical and all that stuff really does really annoy me. What I mean is, ultimately, at its core, what is this company trying to do? What is this organisation trying to do? Because if this grocery store is maybe a third sector organisation trying to provide healthy food to a deprived area, right, revenue is not going to be a metric I'm going to use or a KPI I'm going to use. Um, I might look at, yeah, number of new customers or uh, number of return customers, um, average things like can i reduce the average basket cost compared to the next the closest supermarket can i um count like per family sort of number of whole meals produced so if i'm trying to if that is my strategic objective is to bring a healthy sort of low cost food option into an inviting community then that's great if i'm a company that wants to grow then actually revenue might not even be sorry profit might not actually be my objective i might not be especially for most anyone that's worked in a startup you kind of don't like profits this long distant thing that no one thinks about for quite a while because you might have lots of investment to be the next audi be the next little and you're going to disrupt the uk supermarket space by coming in putting sites down across towns and then trying to you, you get things like um, cost leaders that that will be products that will bring people in the store to try and capture people from the bigger supermarkets. So in that case, new customers is going to be really important. Number of just the volume of people through my door. Um, again, marketing interactions and stuff like that. How many people can I sign up to my club card or my loyalty scheme? That's a really important metric to me because I'm hopefully going to be able to get them back. People I can get data off of, like their email addresses. Can I pester them with offers and deals? That's that's about widening my net, drawing more people to the store. Not that kind of stuff isn't maybe what, yeah, my lovely sort of healthy eating low-cost supermarket is going to do. So... How do we go about defining that? Well, I, I come in, usually waffle for a bit like I have here, get the whiteboard out and then start asking the, the people at the top of the organisation or the top of the team or the function, depending on what level we're doing this in, what's important to them? What do they think good looks like? Um, still other people's hard work as well. I say this all the time, right? Who's done what you're trying to do well? Can you find blog posts by them? What did they do? What are their metrics? So like if you look up... Um, because you, you mentioned North Star Metrics to me in the lead up to this. And yeah, I think Spotify's North Star Metric is something like number of minutes listened to. They just, that is it. How many minutes of, of audio are people listening to on their software? Brilliant. Just increase that number. That's really in line with what they want to do because that captures so much stuff. There's loads of ways of doing that. Yet people like me, they're obsessed with it, listening 24 hours a day and to, to listen to the time and get people like me to share it and spread it to other people. And that's all going to pyramid up into some, into that one number at the top, lots of stuff underneath it. Mm -hmm. So 
come in, do a bit of a workshop, talk about what's written. You, can, you don't have to have an idiot like me in to do that. You can do that yourself. You just talk about what's really important. What are we trying to achieve? And once you've got that, think about, okay, well, actually, is profit on the table? Do we need to, is profit still really important to us? In most cases, it will be. So we'll, we'll maybe keep profit. But do I want my individual customers in the grocery store to spend more each? Do I want the people coming in for their weekly shop to also buy gift cards and buy like expensive electrical items, right? That's a great way to increase the average basket price. Or do I just want more people through the shop and things like that? So once you've got those, these are the important things to us, put more than you need up on the board and then basically rank them and start because you, you don't want to have like 50 KPIs, right? You want a handful. And it, if every individual can't remember them like again these need to drive behavior so the the people whose behavior you're driving they need to be able to remember all of the kpis if i've got 15 kpis i'm not going to keep them all in my mind if i've got five i can probably probably keep track of why i need to do these things and i can see why that's important and they should then help smooth conversations and stuff going forward about decisions and someone wants to do something and it seems a bit weird you can go right well how does that does that affect kpis and if it's all nicely lined up it makes the decision making process easier and things like that and then don't be afraid to get going and change right you have to you have to find a balance of try them out with without sort of perfections in a good right to try them out and get and get some data give them a shelf life but have a set review point so give them a chance but not forever say six weeks 12 weeks and go right in six weeks we're gonna have a look at these did anything change was it better has it helped kind of thing don't be afraid to change them don't be too precious about them one of the other great things you can do is look at if you've got it historical data and this becomes really important how you're collecting the data is really important. It's all well and good saying like, customer sat I want my customers to be really satisfied, but I don't have any means of contacting them. I can't send them surveys. It's all anonymous uh, web transactions. Uh, I don't even get like email addresses on them. That's okay. That's not going to be a great KPI because you, you're going to struggle to get the, the data back. Like, um, things that require so I, I actually have a sporting events company as well right and we run events and satisfaction was one that we wanted and we had to run focus groups to get that that as a um a, a feedback thing but i have to incentivize people to attend them because it's i'm taking time off them that was really difficult but it was really important to me if i put that in as a kpi for my organization going forward even just doing the kpi becomes a whole industry in of itself and it uh, that if it's difficult to do, it's going to start causing people to cut corners and you want to automate that as much as possible, really. Mm -hmm. Being a data nerd, you should want to do that anyway. Mm -hmm. And how do we evaluate the efficiency of uh, a metric? So I think you you mentioned that, okay, metrics should be easy to measure. If it's difficult to measure, then people will try to uh, get away from, like, or not measure it. Uh, then, yeah, so how do we measure the effectiveness. Uh, like I, I guess you, you came up with a list of metrics and then you said we need to um, to reduce the number to just a bunch of them. Right? Mm -hmm. So how do we go from that to a smaller set of metrics? I guess we need to, to evaluate each one of them, right? And then to reduce. So how do you usually do this? 
Yeah, and so I would look at, so for the ones we've come up, so say we've then got a short list of five metrics or something like that, five KPIs, I would then say, as part of a warm-up to the workshop, I would say, bring in, like, if they, if they could share with me, bringing in old board reports and old performance review stuff from the team or the, the organisation. Typically do this at a company level when they have these kind of management information board reports. So bring them in and then you can look at historically, okay, can we can we create these metrics? And I'd maybe go away with that data and create a few slides saying, this is what I roughly think these metrics might have been if we had the data. And then just bring up, the, again, open discussion, would we have made a different decision having seen this trend line of this metric? Would we have seen, made a different decision having, because that's the other thing, yeah, obviously collecting the data and what made that, but you also have to report on it and you have to make it super visible. And lots of people have this thing about like, make companies have this weird thing about have KPIs and then never share them with the staff. Make sure the executive team know them and no one else. And it's like, why? Like make them, I would say Power BI, Tableau dashboards and mount them in your SharePoint or, or your, your Slack or whatever teams, put them in places that people can really quickly check what are what are the current marketing interactions and stuff like that, so that everyone's informed and involved. And actually, go so far as to in a few places I've worked, they've done this, and I tell customers to try this: doing your all hands, like if you do a weekly or a monthly call with your exec, have the executives explain the KPIs regularly, what they mean, what the executives think of it, and brings everyone on that journey, and then. Effectiveness, that's a, this can be a tricky one. It depends on, so I've done a lot of work with charities back at Incremental. And one of the things they really struggle with is what they call outcomes. How do we measure our outcomes? So for a childcare charity, right, I intervene with difficult or Trump, like children with difficult pasts and try and keep them on like a path to education and good health and all that, stay out of trouble. And how do you measure the outcome? over the, the course of that person's life you can't there's no control group right um that becomes a really difficult thing and you have to you, you do have to kind of agree up front right we're gonna set these as targets um because these kpis should trend towards something it's very it's not it's often it's not good to kind of have kpis that sit stagnant you, you kind of want them to go one of two ways um effectiveness then is looking at in review do regular reviews of them and just go back and say are we using this like is there is this a useful number to us does anyone actually care have we have we made decisions based on this number do we always just go oh, yeah but actually we'll ignore that because of this and if that's the case bin them but like, don't don't keep them because you thought they were a good idea iterate on them improve agile right just make make better ones try and try and find something that works for you that's why I say steal other people's hard work. Look at what other people have done, but make it yours. Take it and try and tweak them to fit your, your situation because it'll be different. This isn't easy stuff, right? This is why companies like KPMG and that get paid millions to do this because it's, it's not straightforward. It's, it's a difficult process. The advantage of consultancy is, and I'm, I'm not a consultant anymore, so I can sort of extol their virtues without sounding like a salesman. The advantage of, well, I do it, even though I do it right anyway, sure. They, getting them in is that they've done this more than once. So a lot of consultancies will have done this multiple times and have frameworks and processes to help you with this as a grocery store. Maybe you've never done this. Maybe this is your first, like, oh, how do I measure my business? How do well, this sounds like a thing I want to do and to become a bit more sort of forward thinking, doing it from scratch. I've been advised, like use other people's experience and go from there. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Do you, you 
you mentioned North, North Star metric, like in case of Spotify, this is the number of minute, uh, minutes listened. I think in case of YouTube, it's like how many minutes of video people watched. Uh, so North Star metric is, um, what exactly? It's just a single number that, uh, like the most important uh, KPI for the company or what is that? Yeah, often you'll find that, like I've said there, they can, like the Spotify one, it can almost capture lots of different things rolled into something super simple and that's the the best metrics and the best kpis are really simple to the point where you could tell anyone like on the street within a couple of minutes what your company does and what the metric means and they'll understand right that's the number you want to go up or down right that's that's kind of it yeah that's so it's trying to find something that that does that for your organization and then yeah, like the North Side, you use it to guide your decision-making. Your, your other metrics should kind of align to it. You should be, it should capture, in essence, what you're trying to do. Some of them as well, like for these big companies, they're very good at this, right? Some of them are marketing tools a little bit as well. The metric itself is a bit of a marketing tool in to say that is our mission statement. That is, this is what we're doing. And here's how good we are and it becomes easy for me to look at that and go that's a big number and oh it's gone up oh it's doubled in three years blah 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 mm -hmm. and uh, you also mentioned at the very beginning when we took we were talking about lasers you mentioned that there is a thing called threshold metric what is a threshold metric yeah so again for me threshold metrics being they so i've said for most kpis you kind of want them to be above a certain you want them to go up or down always right that's mm -hmm. kind of improvement and growth but there are some that just need to be at a level so right if i'm running an airline deaths passenger deaths i want the metric is zero i want the metric to stay at zero right that's it if it goes up as soon as i cross that threshold i have to do something about it kind of thing that's that's kind of how and that's a big again an extreme example but probably quite a good one so these will be like health check factors within your organization things that that if you cross the threshold there's a significant issue that needs addressed and so for, for a SaaS company it might be data leak right you might have a you know no data breaches or we want to um they can be more sort of like, sorry, I've, I've named a lot of very binary examples there. I'm trying to think of some that aren't binary. Um, you might even have things like customer churn rate, right? So like the number of users you lose every month. And you might want to, you might not actually care too much. If your plan is to acquire loads of users, then churn rate might not be super important to you in the short term. It will be in the long term, but early stages, just acquire, acquire. But so instead of saying, right, we'll just ignore churn, you might say, right, but we need to keep churn above or below 5% or mm -hmm. something like that. If it ever crosses 5%, we do a review and we start to think, do we now need to introduce something else to drive behavior? Do we need to change the way we operate? Do we need to change the way we work? And until it hits that 5% sort of amber warning light, We'll not. We'll kind of. We'll be happy with that. So you measure it. You do all the reporting on it, and then if it's a thumbs up, it's a thumbs up, and you carry on. So that, that's kind of what I'd, I'd call it. Like you're not going to actively drive a threshold metric. You just want to make sure it stays up mm -hmm. on the right side of the threshold. Is it uh, a similar concept to the health metric? Uh... Yeah, or like hygiene factors, they get called as well. Sometimes that's like things that you just. This must exist. And if it doesn't exist, then mm -hmm. 
well, game's off, so we this has to happen no matter what. And these could be regulatory things. These could be kind of health and safety. Like, these are quite common in these kind of fields. So, so what is a health metric? Yeah, no, it's just the, like, um, things like downtime's a really common one for, like, a SaaS business, like, how downtime over a number of days, months, years, or whatever, like, um, percentage of... Um, yeah, like servers that are up and stuff like that. So if that is trending the wrong way, you know you've got an issue and you, again, to the health of your service. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really, it's something, it's like asymptotic almost in that it, it's either good or it's something's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't really, you don't want like a 200%, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's never going to, it's not a thing you're going to drive for your business. As long as it's sorted, you can kind of ignore it. Yeah, so it's like a threshold. So you don't want like number of downtimes, for example. Yeah, but, you, uh, but again, like with the health metric, it's like you, there's some leniency. Okay. Whereas a threshold, you would say hard line, there's a problem. With a health yeah. metric, you might say, okay, there'd be, there's going to be some downtime because we can't uh-huh. control everything. Yeah, and uh, are there any other kinds of metrics that are important to know? Like we talked about KPIs, we talked about uh, North Star metric, we talked about uh, this threshold and health metrics. Are there any other types of metrics that are probably? Um, I'm just trying to think. There's probably like, yeah, there's probably very industry specific ones and, and things like that. I'm just trying to think of very general cases, but or like the actual theory behind this. And now, this is the kind of thing that, yeah, this is the kind of thing that like a really good. BI consultant would be able to help you with and say like these are the kind of this is how I would turn this in this is what I've seen before and where you would start drawing other people's experience actual kinds of metrics I'm not sure like I, I kind of draw very much on the specifics of what's important to yeah. you um, yeah that's we also wanted to talk a bit about uh, metrics that are specific to machine learning and data science um, so do you know that um, like let's say we have a data science team so what the data science team should care? We can take, a, I don't know, the grocery uh, shop example. So let's say it's a grocery shop. They went through this digitalization process. So they have a data science team in the, in the grocery chain. So what are the important things for data scientists to know like uh, for their work? Yeah, so this is this is good actually because what you'll find is left if you leave it to the data scientists, they'll come up with a load of metrics that are very technical, very technical focused, and it'll be around model performance and it'll be around um, yeah, like accuracy and things like that, right? Which are they're important, they are important, but I, I, I do joke that no one cares, like no one outside of the data team will care. And I, in some, one of the talks I do for sort of early stage data career people, I, would, I, I talk about how if you can in a data team, in a wider organization, it's different if you're if, like technology or data is the core of what your company does. That's a slightly different thing. But in the grocery store example, or like when I was insurance, it was a nice to have or an add-on or added value. In that case, Try and convert everything you do, every model, like accuracy and all that, try and convert it back to pounds or seconds and, and leave it at that. Because ultimately, if the CEO of the grocery store group comes along 
he's probably got a background in selling groceries, right? Or running businesses, hasn't got a background in machine learning and data. So if you tell him, oh, I've improved my random forest um, accuracy by 6% by doing this, that, and that, that doesn't mean anything to these people. That's that is meaningless. If you say my model, my I've improved the model and it leads to 10,000 pounds a month in improvement across our whole revenue thing, that's okay. I can see the return on investment. And this is something that I did really early. And then, then once, you, once you're in that mind space, it helps you as a data scientist individual as well, not waste time on stuff that's like, polish and gold plating like if you can that because that's something else a lot of data scientists are really guilty of is like keep tweaking the model keep going because it's fun right it's interesting you it is fun, yes. yeah no exactly that's why like we all love it but sometimes like the 80 20 is good enough like you just you get the bulk of it done mm-hmm. and again getting to a point where you've you've paid off the bulk of the work and you know that actually it's going to take the same amount of time to do another sort of diminishing returns type stuff thinking in pounds and seconds saved so the reason i like i like pounds because everyone understands that it's the universal language of business and the kind of high ups will get it seconds is a good one as well because you can talk about time saved or and things like that that's that's easy for people to get you haven't got to explain to the people in the sales department what you mean by your f1 score and stuff like that or your rock auc right so these are all like numbers that we love because they we get them and if you're talking to me please tell me your rock auc and your f1 scores i like all that but if i'm then going to help you try and sell your next project to the function lead let's do it in pound coins let's do it in seconds because they're the numbers that are on slides and always thinking that i'm going to present my argument in four or five slides and my boss or whoever I'm presenting it to is going to copy exactly those slides and present them up the chain. If you think about that, right, is your boss's boss going to be able to explain your F1 score to their boss? If the answer is no, let's go back to pounds, seconds, whatever. And some, again, some organisations, actually everyone's super technically literate. The technical appetite's really high. It might be you're in a startup and everyone's a data scientist, in which case throw that out the window, go nuts kind of thing. Um, you'll find your own way there, but it's a useful sort of approach um, mm-hmm. for the fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and you mentioned, um, you, you said about measuring and control group. So I guess this is something also important. Um, like once you have a, uh, like a model, you want to measure it. So how do we usually go about this? Maybe you can just uh, go a bit into details, like how do we do this usually? Yeah, so so, you, so once I've what you're talking about, so I've implemented a model, how to... Um, yeah, we have a metric and we have a model. And then, uh, yeah, if we say it's like AUC is 80%, nobody will care, right? So we need to come to the business people saying, hey, my model generated that percent of uplift in minutes. Like mm-hmm. now my new recommender system at Spotify um, causes like 10% more minutes listen, right? So how do we yeah. actually measure that? So it's really hard, actually. That is really, really difficult. If you're lucky enough to live in a world where you've got a good simulator and the cost of sim- simulation is low, then simulate it, right? I reinforcement learning, they're great, right? That's rare. Um, if you've got good historical data in 
whereby and I'm thinking of a very specific use case, good historical data whereby your actions don't make much of an impact on the state of the world, i.e. the stock market, right? So if, if your, your model, you can play it against the historical data, that's a really good, like back testing and looking up the, the way quants do that, that's a really good approach. Again, really difficult. Um, what we did and what a lot of SaaS companies will do, um, so what we did in insurance companies, and yeah, again, a lot of SaaS companies do, is um, and marketing teams are used to this, this A-B testing and or champion challenger modeling, we called it. So for a very small percentage of our customers, if you've got high enough customer numbers, um, a very small percentage would randomly get selected as the challenger group, and they would be served a different model to the one that's in deployment. So maybe there's no model in deployment fine 95% of the customers that come through go through that normal procedure but 5% get siphoned off and it has to be random and be very careful about how you randomize things because using things like birthdays and stuff like that sometimes causes issues that isn't quite random but 5% of them then get through the new model and then once you've built up enough data you can compare like for like because they were the same time frame they're the same thing and if the challenger model in beats the champion, the one that's currently running, you then promote it to the main the main model and then change something else. And don't change too many things at once, change one thing at a time. And you'll, you'll be able to see slowly but surely over a two, three, five week period, depends on your kind of sales volume, or your customer volume. That's a really good way of, of seeing if you're in a live environment, how to measure your impact and things like that. I realized that we kind of start a time and I dodged the, what kind of KPIs should software data science teams care about i talked a lot about when you're communicating your output to yeah. other people but internally there's a there's quite a lot you can do as well um you can look at that PowerPoint value and look at like impact we've made um number of reusable one i love for data teams is number of reusable um like tools or applications or bits of software or pipelines that are being used and reused so if i if i build a function to help me get data from somewhere and manage it a certain way actually if that gets turned into a utility that you can use as your next project in the same team that's a positive that's a really good kpi to look at look at the ones that um there's a really good post actually by domino data lab i'll try and find it and share it but they talk about a little bit of this but they go this is, i think it's a bit old now but they they talk about some of these ones they're really good and also still other people's hard work, what the software teams use. They're not always going to work, but things like um, models deployed, that can be quite good. Like how, how much stuff is in production? Are you putting things in production? How many service users internally are using your models? It's all well and good having a super cool neural network, but if no one uses it, don't waste the time, right? Um, so yeah, sorry, we lost that dodge that mm -hmm. question a little bit. Yeah, and that uh, we have a related question. I don't know if you have a couple of minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, so a question uh, um, is, uh, so we already talked about like measuring effectiveness of teams, like by how many like how many users of a service are there, how many parts of a pipeline are used. And the question is, as a manager, do you find accelerate metrics, like lead time, deployment, frequency useful for measuring your team's performance? Depends on the team. Yeah, I do. Yes, um, it depends on the team. I So I found actually from running teams and I've run fairly big teams of data professionals, um, like in the tens, right? And I found that a lot of them really resist being managed. I don't know why, but it seems to be a thing in data that we, we don't like to be managed. And we, I don't know if it comes out of academia, but there's, and I was like this as well, right? When I started, you, you kind of want, 
freedom to explore and solve the problem and do stuff that just doesn't work uh, like it, it doesn't really work for many organizations it sometimes it does but mo most of the time it doesn't one of the things that i learned from elizabeth hollinger who's head of insight for greco she's um really done really good things and they've got a great data team there but she did a talk yonks ago about how they they just do everything in, um, and I've, I've kind of changed this a bit so if i misquote now please forgive me but if essentially time box everything into like two weeks right and i do this with my teams and it's great so you just say instead of saying if i say to you right how long is it going to take you to build me a reinforcement learner for for that thing we just well, what i don't know infinite yeah I, like if you want a rubbish answer 30 seconds if you want a really good answer yeah six years i don't know so what instead of that which is where we all get stuck and we say we want the freedom to explore we don't know how long you just say you've got two weeks build me something that's better than what's currently in play and that becomes a really good way to discretize what you're doing and turn it into something you can measure then when you're in that mind frame actually it lines up much more cleanly with the traditional agile like stuff like um yeah you're not going to get like user stories and things the same it's more like running spikes all the time right but it will allow you to to integrate your data teams more readily with those kind of management like agile management practices and things like that i find that works really really well and then everyone can trust it and like your product manager for example can know that if they want an improvement on the sales model then the cost is two weeks and there's no guaranteed outcome from that two weeks there's there's you, you kind of set the guaranteed outcomes as a report on what was tried and, um, and and how it performed there's not a guaranteed improvement but then your product owner who's kind of running the team and responsible for deadlines knows that it's their budget and they say right I spent two weeks on that two weeks on that and then they can reprioritize on other things so that that's quite a good way of doing it but um but yeah, it depends on the team. If you're in a team of software engineers that have learned data, then it's really, really good. If you're in a team of lots of data professionals that hate software engineering, um, try and get back. <laughs> <Like, yeah. laughs> okay, thanks. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Um, no, look, it's been great talking to you. I, yeah, sorry if I ran on go all over the place a bit. This is, I find all this stuff really exciting and interesting. If anyone does want to talk about it in more detail here, please reach out. Um, as I don't know if you caught the restart, but I've just had my first child, so I'm useless at getting back to people this last couple of weeks. Um, but I'll hopefully catch up. But yeah, catch me on LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. Um, and I'd love to hear what other people are doing KPIs. I'd love to hear anyone that thinks I'm speaking rubbish. If anyone really disagrees with what I've said, I'd love to hear it because that's the only way I think we learn is when we get challenged on stuff like that. So please, if you, if you think I'm, I'm speaking rubbish, they're the best conversations for me to have. So I'd love to hear it. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us, uh, finding uh, time to actually talk us, uh, talk to us. Thanks I know it's uh, not, uh, not easy for you. So thanks a lot. And thanks everyone for being active, for asking questions. Uh, sorry that we didn't cover everything. Um, but I hope it was useful for you. And uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks. Goodbye.